0: It feels like an enormous weight has been lifted off our shoulders to be able to come home and, you know, when we saw our families when we came out of quarantine, like, they they cried, you know? Like, my dad, who is not emotional, and my partner's dad, who, you know, they brought these full-grown men to tears at the sight of their kids just, like, being able to get home and be safe, I think, is the main concern.
1: This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huxtep. Over the last 10 months, we've talked of the impact of COVID-19 on many hospitality professionals, how lucky we are down under, and the ongoing concerns still at play abroad. Something we haven't touched on much is the difficulties for many Australians trying to return home to reconnect and set up lives back home. Isabel Little is the new head chef of LP's Quality Meats in Chippendale, Sydney. Isabel, how are you going?
0: Yeah, I'm good, Huck. How are you?
1: Good. It's taken you a long time to get home. I understand you had planned to come home in June last year. Can you tell us what happened?
0: Yeah, so it's been been a bit of a mission. Um, Originally, my partner and I had flights booked home for June, and before then, we were kind of toying with the idea about should we stay, should we go? Things were getting <clears throat> pretty pretty intense over in Europe. Um, we'd actually just had my family visit for about a month um, and everything was fine. And then within a week, it kind of just went boom, skyrocket out of nowhere. This is happening. So we kind of made the decision to pack everything in and come home. Uh, we're both Australian, so we how silly we were thinking it would be quite simple to get back here. Um, And it was just, you know, one cancelled flight after another. Um, A couple of different airlines. We spoke to the Australian government on a regular basis trying to get on a commercial flight because at this point they hadn't even started the, the repatriation flights. So we were lucky and fortunate in the fact that my partner kept her job Um, so she's a fashion designer, so she was able to work from home, um, which was really, really lucky for both of us. And then it was just basically, it was, it was honestly a waiting and a chance game that kind of the next couple of months were just that, um, so quite stressful, pretty intense. We ended up getting a flight with Singapore airlines. Um, so now I'm just dedicated to only, to, to only use Singapore Airlines from this point in time. Um, but they were great. Uh, it was honestly so surreal. Like that flight from, cause they only connect through Singapore, um, at the moment. And that flight from Singapore to Sydney, uh, it must've had maybe 18 people in total. Yeah, it was just, it was, and kind of going through Changi airport was just like, it was empty and just out of this world. What a time to travel and try and manage those expectations of getting home and just, yeah, turbulent time.
1: Take us back to uh, Europe. You, you were working in, uh, in England, but you weren't living there. And can you tell us about what your work life situation was?
0: Yeah, so originally I left Australia and I headed to New York Uh, And I was there for about six to eight months. Um, And I basically had packed up. I kind of, funnily enough, wasn't actually working in the kitchen. I was actually studying engineering at the time. Um, And I just kind of said, you know, I'm going to go, see what it's all about, had some savings. And I also have a dual citizenship for the UK. So after New York, I ended up in London uh, for about three and a half years, just kind of working at a couple of good restaurants and about halfway through that, I met Thomas Parry, who's the chef of Brat in in Shoreditch in East London, uh, which is kind of where I, I guess, found my feet again with cooking and really found with Thomas, it was just a really great learning environment. And, you know, we were able to kind of really just connect and I was able to cook freely with him and that was great. and then I was offered an opportunity with my best mate to do like a series of pop-ups around London at a butcher shop called Hill and Shrock. I don't know, I'm not too sure if you've... It's like a really tiny butcher shop in the East London. Uh, it's really great. Um, so we did a few dinners there and I kind of had a chat with Tom and it was like, I think it's time for me to kind of do... try and do a few things on my own. Um, I was actually heading to Paris to do a like a three to six month residency there at a restaurant called Le Fleur um, And then it all kind of came to a big halt because my girlfriend was offered a job in Amsterdam. So we kind of made the decision to move there together and I was commuting to London from Amsterdam, which it, it, it sounds crazy, but actually it's like... It's really quite easy. Um, Door to door, it took me about an hour and a half on the plane and like to get to the city centre of uh, London from Amsterdam. So I was kind of FIFO, I guess, I guess you could say for a while. While my best mate and I did these pop-ups and kind of looked into avenues of getting a summer residency and then This thing with Paris was on the cards and I was going to Paris on the train and kind of meeting producers and meeting the teams and we were putting in a small grill at this restaurant and you know, it it, it was all happening. And then, yeah, I got a phone call from these guys in Paris in January, in March, I guess. And they were just like, that's not happening. We're really sorry. This is just, it's out of our control. So then everything just kind of came to a halt. And we finished the year in Amsterdam. So we had eight months there, just solidly there. Unemployed, which was great. Yeah. I managed to do a stage though in that time at a a restaurant called Chambre Separe in Ghent. Have you, have you heard of those guys up there?
1: No, tell us about it.
0: Yeah. So Cobb Desremoltz, he had a, a really good restaurant called Indie Wolf in, in Belgium, uh, Kind of like Nicholas Ekstet, that first kind of style of wood fire, no electricity, no gas, and just kind of cooking what's in season. Uh, he went on to open Chambre Separe, which is like a very small 16-seat restaurant that is kind of encapsulates the kitchen around around that little bar and the chefs serve the food and we have a conversation and it's really open and you can kind of, you see everything. Um, so during the lockdown... Uh, Ghent, which is a very small township in Belgium, was wildly unaffected by COVID. So they were able to remain open and you could go if you got a negative COVID test and, you know, all, all, those, all those things that we needed to do. And I ended up having a month with them up there and just kind of living and commuting up there through Belgium, which was great. Um, again, like no electricity, no gas. Lots of, lots of wood fire, no charcoal, and just, you know, lots of good, really good guys cooking great food, just kind of under a radar. And it was just, it was amazing.
1: What was it like as a citizen um, living in Europe over the last year? And you're back in Australia now and obviously know what things are like here. How, how different was it in that lockdown over there for you?
0: Yeah, look, it, I haven't been, to, when we got home, I hadn't been to a pub in about eight and a half, nine months. So so the first thing I did when I got back was we went to a pub and had a headmaster pint and it was just honestly so good. Um, the lockdowns in Europe and especially in the UK were really severe. So the lockdowns initially were through summer, not that, I, I guess you would say like not that policed. Uh, and then kind of after summer ended and I think everywhere had kind of stayed open, maybe that's when things got a bit more serious because people had been able to kind of go from country to country and then come back and it was only recommended back then that you that you self isolate for those 10 days and as you can imagine like uh, I don't think many people were self isolating so then that second wave that came and affected Europe was just it was it was huge so the next lockdown that they went to was between 8 and five, eight a.m. and 5 p.m., you weren't able to leave your house and it was just mental. You were allowed to go out once for, like, exercise and if you had a dog, you could go out later than 5 p.m. But if you had no reason to be out of the house after 5 p.m., like, it was just, that was it. So being back here and being able to... I mean, I hugged my mum and I was like, do you want a hug or do you want a handshake? Like, what's happening here? And she was just like, I want to hug you, like, don't be daft. But yeah, it's just been, it's been surreal and being able to eat in a restaurant, like my girlfriend and I, I just like every night we're like, should we go somewhere? Because, because we can. So it's very, we're very lucky and very fortunate to have had made it back here.
1: A little earlier, you mentioned that you detoured away from cooking to do an engineering degree. What, what, what led to that detour?
0: Um, well, I started cooking at quite a young age. So I was able, my parents let me leave school in, when I finished year 10. Um, and they were really supportive. If you get yourself to TAFE and you find a job, like you can do this because I had been washing dishes in a, in a little small cafe and kind of caught the bug a little bit, Um, and they were really great. They were like, if you can organise it, we'll support you. So I did, and I went down that path and did TAFE and uh, an apprenticeship in Newcastle and kind of worked at a few restaurants that they don't really, I don't think they exist anymore. Um, And then I decided that when I turned about 20, I was like, you know, I really haven't had the chance to to party or you know you miss all those events birthdays Christmases like you know how it is you have to work it's hospo so I just kind of thought there has to be another wave where I can be in this industry that isn't so intensely like with the workload so I thought about maybe getting into designing and building commercial kitchens Um, So I went to Newcastle University and did the equivalent to the HSC, which then it's called New Step, the New Step program. Um, And I got the marks to study engineering and just gave it a crack and I enjoyed it. It was interesting. My girlfriend at the time, halfway through my degree, decided she was moving to New York. And as you do when you're in love, you kind of say, great, I would really enjoy coming there with you. So I kind of packed up all my bags and I followed her there. And it was great. Uh, we traveled America. We lived there. F- well, she still lives there, but I lived there for about six to eight months, just eating and drinking and a couple of little work experience things here and there, but nothing, nothing major in terms of work. But it was there where I met just this, to to me, another breed of people from hospitality. It was meeting people who had chosen, you know, these paths in hospitality and these careers because they could. Not because it was under circumstances that they needed to. It was because they really fucking enjoyed what they did. And meeting those people from Newcastle to to New York, it was just like, holy shit, like this is where I need to be. Um, and that was, that was kind of, I did a big 360, I guess, started, stopped, and then was like, you know what, this is actually where I need to be. I'm relatively good at it. And I want to see where I can go with this and see what happens.
1: Your love for food started at a really young age. Can you take us back to your upbringing uh, in the the rural country town?
0: Yeah. So I was actually born in a kitchen, uh, which is (laughs) hilarious. Yeah. My mum was a midwife, or she, yeah, she was a midwife, and had my sister, and then with her second baby was like, you know what, I can, I can probably manage. So I was on the kitchen floor halfway through the day. Um, my dad went out to get, you know, the Australian Chinese takeout, and when he came back, I was there. <laughs> <laughs> so it was pretty surreal for him as well. Um, and I grew up in a, a small town called Gloucester, which is a couple of hours north of, of Sydney and Newcastle on the Barringtons. Um, and, you know, we had no TV, we had no real electricity, we had a generator. Um, my dad tried to grow organic chickens and God love him. He was only, I think, like 15 years too early and he probably would have been a been a smash hit. But we tried chickens, we did carnations and along along the way we reared our own cows and pigs and kind of had that lifestyle that a lot of people are turning to now I think like I listened to your podcast with Annalise Gregory and it's like when I was a kid and I was doing all those things with my parents you know like I I killed my first chicken when I was 11 or 12 and we had it for dinner that night or the next day and there's a funny story that my mum loves to tell now that I'm a chef um I came I came home from school one day and I was just like what's for dinner and, you know, like we're having roast duck and dad's getting like beetroots from the backyard and like we'll have like the cherry jam I made last year or something like that. And and I turned around and just said, do we really have to have roast duck again? Like, just like the little shit that I was like, I just wanted, you know, box fish fingers and steamed broccolini or something like that. And um, no, it was good. There were a couple of times during that upbringing where we... Raised a pig, and when he got sent away to be to be slaughtered, it was really emotional. It was really sad. you know, my mum and I spent a couple of days in bed kind of grieving the loss of that animal. but then a couple of days later, you know we had we had roast pork, and it was honestly the best pork I've ever had in my entire life. you know, and there's just such a a difference to growing to growing up like that. And back then I'd really hated it, you know, no TV, no real electricity, no solar power. And I find myself now in the way I cook and the way I express myself through food is just like it was back when I was a kid, 20, like 18, 20 years ago, you know.
1: You mentioned your time in London with Brat and also the pop-ups with the butchery. Um, And you've come back to Australia to work for a restaurant that has transformed itself from a restaurant um, into a small goods producer and also then back to a restaurant to a degree as well uh, in LPs, quality meats. How did how did that conversation begin for you to get that role?
0: Yeah, as, as most things do these days, it was over Instagram, funnily enough. Uh, <laughs> Luke put out a, you know, a chef's needed and this was back the beginning of last year and I was we were toying with the idea of coming back and I just thought, you know, I'm going to reach out and just kind of see, have a feel around and see what it's about. Um, and, you know, Luke, he wrote back really quickly, was really interested. He immediately was like, if you're coming home and interested in a role here, I would really love to offer you a head chef role. And when I woke up and got that email, I was just like, shit, like this is huge. Um, So I jumped on the chance. I emailed him back and said, I'm going to come home. These are my dates. And at that point in time, it was, you know, June, July. And then I had to kind of email Luke and say, look, looking to be not as easy as I, as I first anticipated, Um, is this role, does it have an expiration date? I'm like, I really cannot express to you how interested I am in working with you and Tan and like coming on board to this role. And he was... Just in classic Luke, he was like, just take your time, get home safe. Like, it'll be here when you get back. And we just shared a few emails with each other back and forth. I think by this time, they were only just starting to reopen after the renovations, I think. Um, So he was quite busy, but we stayed in communication. And then when I finally, when we finally got on the plane in December, (laughs) in the first week of December, uh, Luke emailed me and said are you back like what's the deal are you still interested and I went in as soon as I got out of quarantine like a couple of days later I went and immediately saw him and just said yes this is what I want to do if you'll have me I can be here and that was kind of that quite simple in 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 practice like as a as this role is like my first head chef role first kind of big Deal, And I have never cooked in Sydney, you know, I've only ever cooked overseas and I've been away for so long that I'm not really in a loop. So to come back to this is just kind of pretty extraordinary for me, I guess, for, for anyone. Like this opportunity is just, I hope it goes well. And yeah.
1: You mentioned when you saw the opportunity, you you wanted to jump on it and you saw it as an amazing um restaurant to be part of, what was the lure for you with LP's quality, meat?
0: Yeah, I guess I've been to LP's a few times. So when I've come home on, you know, a holiday or a couple of weeks here and there, I would always try and go and eat at LP's. Um, I've always liked his style of cooking. I haven't have met him before in person, but vicariously knew through a couple of people. Like One of my good friends is Aaron Ward at, at Sixpenny. And we were just chatting and I was asking him about, you know, places and things that were opening when I was thinking about coming back. And he actually said, you know, I think you'd really fit in at LPs. You know, Luke and you have a very similar style and cooking approach. Um, Why don't you like try and see if there's anything available? And he threw out a couple of other places. But to me, LPs just kind of struck a chord with me. I think maybe, maybe it was just because I'd Seen Luke and seeing the way his mannerisms are and the way he is with people. Um, I think he's just a really great, gentle guy. And, you know, his resume is tenfolds over, you know, so you're having an opportunity to kind of learn anything from him. And, I mean, in this first week, you know, like... He's like, oh, I don't want you to feel overwhelmed or anything, but, you know, we collaborate all these pHs with the fridges and stuff, and I'm just like, whoa, like I've, I've never done this. And he was like, no, 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 it's fine. Like, you'll be okay. Like, we'll move slowly in it. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so it's pretty whirlwind experience. I mean, it's only been three weeks since I have started, so it's all still pretty fresh.
1: You mentioned that Aaron Ward at Sixpenny said that you'd fit right in there. Tell us about your own cookery and and how it is similar to what uh, LPs offers.
0: Yeah, so I think when I kind of left and found myself in London, I was fortunate enough to work with a a really great chef called Chris Leach, who was one of the original guys at uh, PitQ, which is an institution in London, now um he's actually gone on to open coombs head farms with april bloomfield so chris kind of had that same ethos of getting a whole beast in breaking it down utilizing all of its all of its parts and just kind of seeing what you could do and what we could do in that tiny kitchen we had in east london Um, and i think it's there i first really used an open fire kitchen we had a small little Uh, hibachi style not a natural hibachi but like a a pretty old school Japanese little Conroe thing so we kind of had that and we were playing around with different woods and charcoals and kind of cooking Chris's food but in our own style like he was quite good and quite footloose with what our approach was to his menu was kind of acceptable Um, and I think it was there I really found that I enjoyed cooking A, over fire, and B, utilising ingredients that I had never really heard of before. So in the UK, you just, it's, and I know Australia has great produce, but I had never worked in a really good restaurant in Australia, so kind of getting over to the UK and just seeing an abundance of, of, of stuff, I guess, like just everything you could ever possibly think of, it was there and it was available. And I think from there, is where I met Thomas, and he really drove home to me like that, that cooking of from your past, from your childhood. He cooks, the way he cooks is from his history in Wales and he brings it together with a bit of Basque region and then he goes and takes uh, English produce and kind of incorporates it. So it's like this big melting pot of everything you have ever learned as a kid, I guess, kind of has come forward to this surface and that, that's how I approach my food I think as well now. I think coming from a farm and you know having, having to give away a pig to be slaughtered and then getting it back and watching my dad cook a roast like a roast pork is just exactly how I would like to cook my food in a restaurant. And I think Luke is kind of similar in the sense that he doesn't necessarily want to do too much to things and he likes to let them speak for themselves. Um, And I think it's just, it's a gentle, a gentle way of cooking, I think. It's not forced, it's not, you know, tiny brunoise echelots and that if they're not all perfect little squares, we we can't serve them. I appreciate that that has its place in the food world and and love going to those kinds of restaurants to eat. But I think for myself, it's just kind of that laid-back style of cooking and just seeing what's around and kind of making it a harmonious plate, I guess.
1: You mentioned you'd been to LPs uh, to eat previously on trips down under, and now it's your first head chef role. We spoke to Luke a couple of months ago as he was transforming the business into a small goods producer. Um, But there is a restaurant now in the front. How different is it to the previous LPs, and and what are you doing there?
0: Mm, It's it's quite different actually. So I think they've removed, I think Luke was saying they removed about half the capacity to put in the the processing side of things. So now we seat comfortably, I think it might be 40 people, 45 people per sitting. Um, so it's quite different because originally when you walked into LPs, it was that huge space of openness and it was great. You know, it was loud, it was vibrant, it was meat and smoke and all of those really good things that you enjoy when you're having a few beers and now I think for me when I walked in it had maybe a little bit more sense of itself I think like it's a bit more relaxed in terms of atmosphere Uh, I feel like it's it's kind of grown the way Luke and Tan have grown as well like it's a bit more mature maybe now and I feel as if when you kind of walk in there you're you know you're greeted with the salumi section that they that the guys in the wholesale are making and you have the chance to like try a little bit of the saucisson and you're available to buy these things and take them home and it just feels like it's almost working in harmony like with itself almost and i think the idea to get in there and keep it keep keep it going keep the wheel spinning you know, we only do Friday, Saturday and Sunday services at this point. Um, we are going to look at doing, putting the Thursday night in there, given everything like COVID kind of, you know, settles settles down a bit. But I think the style of food we're probably going to go for is quite like, it's similar to what Luke has been doing in there now for the for the reopening. Lots of uh, small plates, share plates. Um, I'd really like to use the products that the guys in the wholesale are making because I just feel like they're, they're world class, you know? Like Luke, Luke has this thing where he's like, I, don't, I can't just put a sausage on a, on a plate and, you know, serve it. And it's like, but you can because it's an LP sausage and they are fucking amazing. And the amount of time and love and care that goes into making this sausage is worth showcasing that on a plate. You can definitely do that.
1: You have friends back in uh, Europe um, that are still dealing with um, crazy amounts of virus cases and deaths and uh, lockdowns. What does it actually feel like for you, sort of knowing people back there, but sort of being here in Australia where it feels relatively normal?
0: Yeah, I I feel very, very fortunate and, and extremely lucky to have been able to get home. Um, I have my best mate, Alex, who's in the UK at the moment, and they're thinking at this stage that restaurants probably aren't going to open until the population is vaccinated, which is just absolutely phenomenal. So he's been out of work now since <clears throat> January last year. Um, his restaurant tried to kind of go to that model of takeaway, but... You know, it's just there are so many places that could do it quite easily that just beat them, beat them to the punch. I think. Um, but it's talking to him. We talk on a regular basis, and you know, their lockdown is even harder now than it was when we were over there. Um, you're only allowed up to exercise like once a day, and the rule of like six people in your home is still intact. So you're only allowed to have five people around. You're not allowed to go i think it's something ridiculous like three kilometers out of your postcode or something or two kilometers out of your postcode so they're really really intense at the moment and as you would know you the uk has also just come out of they've done brexit right so they've kind of just had an absolute shit show to the start of the year they've had brexit and now they're talking like tesco's which is one of the biggest like grocery stores there had an issue like last week that they couldn't they were going to run out of like cauliflower or something because they just can't get it in anymore people just have cut them off it's jokingly they call it i think people are calling it at the moment like death island so it sounds pretty grim um so being able to get home and i i feel for people who are still stuck abroad and there are there must be, you know, a couple of thousand people still trying to get home. Um, And I know with this, the the new UK variant, that like Emirates and a couple of other big flights just stopped flying to the UK altogether. So I think being able to get home, we're quite lucky when we left. Um, And I think that... It is surreal to be here in Australia and to be... I know we're not meant to, but like I said, like, to hug my mum or to, you know, go around to my girlfriend's parents' house for dinner and just be able to sit in the company of people and not be worried anymore is just a huge relief. Like, I, I can't even explain it in words. Like, it's just kind of like... It just... It feels like an enormous weight has been lifted off our shoulders to be able to come home. And, you know, when we saw our families, when we came out of quarantine, like firstly, I could have kissed the concrete, but secondly, like they they cried, you know, like my dad who is not emotional and my partner's dad, who, you know, they brought these full grown men to tears at the sight of their kids, just like being able to get home and be safe, I think is the main concern
1: what's it what's it been like for you having had that experience has has the last year changed changed you
0: yeah, I think so for sure i think um definitely like a lot of people in this industry you know it's been it's been bittersweet because I've been able to have time with my partner and have more time with my family and you know I've got a young nephew, so being able to see him and you know on the on the phone like two years ago, all he would say to me was like when do you go to work? Like, what time do you finish work? And like, that was his knowing of me was that like, I'm, I'm going to work, like Izzy goes to work and then she'll ring you when she gets home. So for, for me, it's been quite a big shift in, I think, having an appreciation for my, for my own time, um, definitely having an appreciation for other people's time and just kind of knowing that it's okay to, to slow down. It's it's okay to say no, which is a huge thing for me. And it's something that I've been practicing for the past 10 years. And I really realized last year that, you know, you can say no and things will be okay, you know?
1: Well, you are back home and you're head chef of a restaurant that's um, one, of, one of the best in Sydney and certainly one of the most unique in Australia. What are you most looking forward to as the role continues, I know you're only three weeks in, but what are you really excited about?
0: Um, I'm really excited about getting to know Sydney and getting to know the clientele and the customers and the the expectations. Uh, I'm really interested in getting down and dirty with some producers and getting to know people. I've only just started doing the ordering like this week for LPs, so kind of finding my feet in a rhythm with finding people that, like, two providors that do the dry goods and a few other people and have Rick meets and stuff and just kind of meeting people and being able to to freely meet people and have a conversation. And I'm looking forward to, within reason, putting my, my own spin on a few things at LPs and hoping to just keep that menu light, fresh. Uh, we, I really would like to get into the vibe of, you know, every couple of weeks having a good change and a reshuffle, um I really enjoy the teaching aspect of the role so there's a couple of young guys in there at the moment who are really great chefs um and I'm looking forward to you know being able to help teach and talk to and communicate with that next generation of of chef you know and just have a have a community around me that is that that is home I guess and be emerged in that community and just yeah look forward to seeing where it goes and what can actually, the possibilities are, are endless, I think, especially with Luke and Tan. Like, they're really, really just like, you do you. Like, let us know and we're going to be okay. So that's, it's it's been a nice kind of entrance point for sure.
1: Well, that is a nice entrance point and very much looking forward to see what you, Luke and Tanya, do with LPs moving forward. We've loved having you on Deep in the Weeds to your story Uh, welcome back to australia and um keep in touch or keep in we'll um talk again soon
0: we will thanks huck
1: this is the deep in the weeds podcast i'm anthony huckstep stay tuned as we share the stories of australia's hospo community suppliers and producers in search of hope during this pandemic special thanks to executive producer rob lock for making this all happen follow us on instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepinheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.